to Totally Lit, a monthly podcast celebrating reading, writing and creating literature. I'm your host Kai, thank you for listening. Hi everyone, happy Freedom Day for Monday to all my New South Wales friends and family. I hope you're enjoying getting out and about, hopefully Victoria won't be too far behind. I got my second vaccine on Saturday so I'm ready to come visit as soon as we are allowed. Listeners, have I got a wonderful guest for you. I'm very excited to share my chat with Philip Gwynne with you this month. Philip Gwynne's first novel, Deadly Honour, was a literary hit and was made into the feature film Australian Rules, for which Philip won an AFI award. The sequel, Nakanya, was also published to great acclaim. He writes for a wide range of age groups, from picture books such as Brothers from a Different Mother and junior fiction such as Jetty Rats and Michael in the Stuff Happens series to the young adult novel Swerve, shortlisted for many awards, amongst them the 2010 Prime Minister's Award and the Golden Inky. One of eight children, Philip grew up in the bush. He played professional Australian rules football, graduated as a marine biologist and worked at many different jobs before he eventually started to write. Since his first novel, Philip has subsequently written more than 40 books, ranging from picture books to adult crime thrillers, has been translated into many different languages and he lived for several years in Bali. Now, before we jump into the interview, I'm going to apologise in advance to everyone. I think I was still feeling the elation of a Demon's win in the AFL Grand Final when we had this chat, so please push through my few minutes of being excited about footy. Now I've got that off my chest, please enjoy my chat with Philip Gwynn. Philip Gwynn, welcome to Totally Lit. Now, I've heard um, or done a bit of Googling about you today um, and read that you had played uh, football in your youth and that was in South Australia. Um, do you have a team that you follow now? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I live in Sydney so I've lived here for a long time so I'm, I'm a big Swan supporter. Oh, go the Swannies. Yeah, yeah, but unfortunately we um, had an unfortunate exit. Well, we did a lot better than people thought this year but then mm. we had an, an unfortunate exit from the finals. And how do you feel about the, the Demons winning the championship? Yeah, I, I loved it. I think they're really, I really, I really like the way they play. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a football purist, so mm. you know, I don't like if a team wins in a beautiful way, then I'm very happy. And I think there's the demon, uh, the D's play beautiful football, so I was very, very happy. And I, it was a really surprising final. I just did not see, did not see that that comeback coming. I just didn't see it coming. When Bontepelli kicked that goal, I thought that's it. It's all over. It was uh, amazing. Yeah, it was incredible, and I've watched football for over 40, 50 years, and I did not see that coming. No, they made a good comeback after 57 years, and um, my lovely dad, he's been supporting them all of his life, um, and uh, yeah, so it was a great night for him. I even made him a special cake afterwards that um, had uh, blue icing and a number one in red, so <laughs> go the D's. Okay. I hope it had a, uh, I don't know, some, some, some picture of... Petrarca on there or something because what an extraordinary <laughs> player that guy is incredible are we going to talk football for the whole podcast no no <laughs> let's talk about your latest book uh the break can you tell me a, a little bit about it okay so i i, I lived in bali i mm-hmm. lived there for years and uh, i can speak indonesian and um while I was there I, I used to go to jail uh voluntarily i used to visit some members of the bali nine so oh, I got wow, to know, okay. Yeah, I got to know Mayu and Andrew, Mayu Sukumaran and Andrew Tran a little bit. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, 
by their own admission, they were gangsters, you know, wannabe mm. gangsters when they got arrested, but they'd changed. They were, they were really good human beings. And so when there was a change in government in Indonesia and Joko Widodo, there was a, uh, thought he was going to get elected. I thought, well, a young guy, not from the elites, he, he's going to have a real handle on human rights and mm. he might give them a pardon, commute their death sentences. And as we know, he did completely the mm. opposite. He decided to execute two perfectly good human beings. And so, I mean, I, I always knew I was going to write about it. Yeah. Uh, but I just, it took me a while to work out what, in what form that writing would take. So mm. uh, eventually, instead of two young men who did a really stupid thing and got busted smuggling drugs, it became a, a, a young guy, Taj, who's an ex 16-year-old expat kid living in Bali. Got an incredible life. He's got maids. He's got a driver, um, and it's his father who's in jail. So his right. father busted smuggling drugs ten years ago. Then I sort of just take a version of exactly what happened: change in government, new president, and this time the new president sets a date for Taj's father's execution. His mm. name's Kim. So my so Taj, who's never really done anything his whole life because everything's been done for him. He's a really privileged kid. Mm. Uh, decides he's got no choice. He's got to bust his dad out of jail. So that's quite an extreme premise. Yeah. And and quite dangerous too, breaking somebody out of jail. So I guess that would make it quite a thrilling read. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, it's it's it, it's a thriller. Yeah, there's um, a thrill in every chapter. Obviously, they do. He does break him out of jail. I don't think that's a real plot spoiler. And they go on the run through the sprawling archipelago of Indonesia. And I've travelled a lot in Indonesia. Um, mm. It's just an extraordinary, extraordinary country. So it gave uh, me the opportunity to explore some of that. Mm. And so obviously the Indonesian authorities are after them because they've escaped from the jail. But the other thing is the Australian authorities don't necessarily want them back. So they're, okay. yeah, they're, really, they're really stuck. Is it... Primarily uh, aimed at a YA audience, or is it aimed for adults? Well, when I when I wrote it, I thought I was writing an adult book. Right. And, um, it's got alternate. It's written third person, but has alternating POVs. Mostly, it's told from the point of view of Taj, the sixteen-year-old uh, expat kid. But then there's two really strong uh, female characters. There's his girlfriend Inga, mm -hmm. who's Swiss German. Uh, also, Bali expat, and there's a girl, Kartika, who's, uh, who's been adopted by Australian parents, but her DNA is she's Indonesian. Uh, so they're the three main points of view, but there's a lot more too. And in, in initial drafts, there was quite a bit from the the adult the adult characters, especially from Kimbo, the father, the the guy who's been in jail. Mm. Um, but then I just made a decision with my publisher and my editor that. That, that maybe this, you know, we, should, we this is the market that we're looking for, the young adult market. I mean, I hate talking about markets and mm. I hate pigeonholing books thinking that maybe an adult won't read the book because they think it's, you know, a young adult book, whereas, you know, there's no reason why they can't read the book. Well, it does sound like there's some complex themes in the book, though, so I think that it, it could be appreciated by a, a few different audiences there. Yeah, look, I, I there is a lot of complex complex stuff going on, I think. I mean, you know, in this age where I think a lot of young people are frustrated with the political situation, frustrated 
that they don't have a vote and, you know, they feel like they don't have agency. These kids sort of take matters into their own hands. Mm. I, I, again, I don't want to give the plot away, but, you know, what they do is pretty extraordinary. extraordinary. They become absolute political players on a, on a, on a, on a world stage, really. Uh, so I, I guess I was trying to give teenagers the idea just because they don't have the vote, just, you know, often they feel powerless doesn't mean that, that they can't make a difference. Mm. And today is uh, your book birthday. It's uh, released today, the 28th of September, and yeah. your publisher, your publisher through Puffin. Is there, where can people purchase your book from? Well, right now in Sydney, not in a bookshop. Not in a bookshop. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're in lockdown. But they're opening up on the 11th of October. The 11th. Um, and people can jump online and order as well? Yeah, jump online. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere yep. online. Tokyo, all the fish pie, all the usual places. Um, but, you know, let's hope, let's hope bookshops open soon and people can go down to their, and support their local bookshop because that's, uh, that's the best place to buy a book rather than one of the big, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What that leads me to next um, is that you have quite a wide array of published books and various genres that you write for, which is quite a talent. Um, so you've got picture books, you've got YA, you've got adult thrillers. Yeah. Did you want to tell me a bit about some of your past books? Yeah, you're right. I've written a variety of books. I guess I, I think what happens is that I get an idea or something occurs to me in my life or somebody says something to me and I think, oh, I should write about that. And then the next question is, what's the best form? You know, When I take that idea and, 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 and work or play with it or what, what short form should it take? And I think picture books are really interesting because I've written 15 or something. I don't do the illustrations. I just do the text. And they just appear out of nowhere. Mm. Um, I don't, you know, and right now I've got one coming out soon, but I, I sort of don't have one after that. And I keep wondering when, when a picture book will appear in my life, but I know it will. I know it will. I know, you know, you just go about your daily life and, do the usual things, and one will just pop up somewhere. Um, and so I know when they, put, I know that they're picture books. I just know mm. it's simple ideas. Whereas novels, I think they're more complex. They have a more complex birth, you know. And like the break is a, is a good example. It took me a long time to, to write that book, and I thought about it for 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 a couple of years actually, mm. or I actually even put put some uh, words on the page. Other books, I'm uh, just writing right now, I'm finished today almost, uh, uh, a pandemic novel. It's called The Triage. So it's obviously inspired, and again, I'm not sure if inspired is the right word, but provoked by what we're, we're all been living through by having uh, with COVID. And um, as a writer, I don't like to let experience go to waste, so... So I, wrote, I started writing this novel. It's, I don't know, it's taken me about six months now. And I, again, I think it's probably not quite YA. It's, mm. I mean, I guess I was really inspired by The Hunger Games. Yes, uh, that's that's great. a great inspiration, very um, probably poignant at the moment, Something writing something like that as well. Yeah, it's just a great idea. I mean, it's not even particularly well, well written, really, but when you read it, but it's just such a genius idea. You can't help it but admire it. 
So mm, mm. I guess we could play this as my version of the Hunger Games. Um, and then the next book, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd quite like to write an adult book. So, yeah, I, I do jump around, which is probably a bit confusing to some people. But uh, Well, I guess you're not, like, um, pigeonholed. You, you can write what you want by the sounds of it, um, which takes talent. Like, not everybody can write over multiple genres either um and then there's others that don't want to um they've decided they write in a certain genre and they want to maintain that uh i guess image for marketing as well yeah. well that makes commercial sense to do that mm. yeah, publishers are always happier if you just stay in the in the one genre and and i can understand that but yeah i, I think i would probably feel constrained mm. if I was to do that well, I guess, too, being creative means being able to pursue whatever is in your mind as well and, and bringing it to fruition. So if you've got books for all different genres, why not write them if you've got it in you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I agree. Now, I thought I'd uh, quickly talk about Deadly Anna and your sequel, Nakanya, um, because that actually, Deadly Anna actually was made into a film. How did you f enjoy... Or did you enjoy the process of your book becoming a film? Well, I wrote the screenplay, so I've got a bit to do with it. You know, I enjoyed Yeah, 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 at the time, I did enjoy it, yeah. I mean, it, that was my first novel, and then I was asked to write the screenplay, and I'd never, never written a screenplay before, never really actually seen a screenplay before, to tell the truth. I mean, I did, I did plays at school when we studied Shakespeare, Mm. I, I'd never read a screenplay before, and I'd seen a lot of yeah, I'd seen a lot of movies like everybody, but I actually never read a screenplay before. Um, and back then, they weren't readily readily available. They're, you know, they're, they're easy to find now. So now you can just Google or YouTube something and figure out how yeah, to do yeah. it. Well, it's screenplay, yeah. It's, yeah, well, I shouldn't give the name of, out the name of the website, but um, and so then I was asked to do the screenplay, and I really didn't didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, but I but I learnt on the job. But it was a pretty arduous process. Screenwriting. I've done quite a bit of screenwriting subsequent mm. to that, and I, I don't think I'm a natural screenwriter. Um, I think I'm much much happier uh, working w w as a novelist. But it's the thing. I like collaborating. I do. I like hanging out with smart people. But mm. I, I sort of, you know, I also enjoy being by myself and working on my own thing. So yeah, look, I was making it, the filming of it, that was really fascinating because I was involved a little bit. Uh, they shot in Adelaide and I was uh, around. Most of, my, most of my family are in the film, I think, somewhere or another. Nice that you could get everybody in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really fascinating. And then uh, we took the film to Sundance, the Sundance film. Oh, wow, that would have been exciting. Yeah, that was extraordinary. That was uh, that was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. Americans are really good at this, celebrating success. Mm. I think in Australia we have that tall poppy thing going on. And Americans don't. So you, you go over there and they just want to celebrate that you've mm. got a film in progress. Maybe they haven't even seen it. They don't know who you are. But that doesn't matter to them. They just want to celebrate that, you know. You, you could do it, which means they could do it. So, yeah, that was a great, great experience. So we've got to see Robert Redford. Oh, wow. I would have been starstruck by that. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty starstruck. Just saw him getting out of his big old land, you know, land cruiser thing in the, in the, in the main street there but, uh, at Sundance. But, yeah, it was a great experience. 
So that leads me to how your writing career got started. Um, so originally you had trained in marine biology. Yeah. How did your first book come about? Okay, so I was, um, I was living in Sydney and I was uh, 38. And uh, I'd look, I, I, should, I should wind back a little bit. So I grew up in a very small country town and I'm from a really big family. Mm-hmm. Eight kids in my family, uh, rural working class family. And I, I, I had talent, I think, as a, when I was a kid. I had talent as a writer because I can remember my primary school teacher actually saying to me I had talent. But it was never, never encouraged, you know. So when I got to high school, I just forgot that I had it. I mean, I was quite good at mm-hmm. English. I liked English. I loved the books we studied. But, you know, as far as creative writing, I, I just really didn't pursue it at all. And then when I went to, I studied science at university and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of writing when you study science, but it's not creative writing. And so I just forgot. Mm. I just sort of forgot that I had that I used to like to write. And finally, when I was uh, the other thing is, I, I always read, never stopped reading my whole yeah. life. So then, when I was 38, I was actually working as a computer programmer, living in Sydney, been through some stuff, and I um, I uh, sort of had an epiphany one day. Uh, and I thought, what do I really want to do with my life? Uh, do I really want to be a computer programmer, even though I was making a lot of money and having a good life, but I just you know, wasn't feeling particularly fulfilled? And I th- thought, actually, I'd quite like to write something. I just didn't know how to start. So I en- enrolled in a course at Sydney University. It's the continuing mm-hmm. education course given by Libby Gleason. And um, the first class... She got us just to do a like a writing sprint, you know, a spontaneous writing thing. Yep. Ten minutes, mm-hmm. I think it was. And I found I, I wrote about my childhood. I wrote about uh, living in a small country, coastal town, being one of eight kids, playing football and with Indigenous kids because I grew up with Indigenous kids. And I wrote this little thing and I thought, wow, that's interesting. Because I'd never thought of using my childhood as material before, because I just thought it was dysfunctional, really, and I left it behind, <laughs> left it behind, and moved on. I think we all feel that way, don't we? Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. And then I, I thought, okay, why don't I just push this a bit further? So I went home one night. I just wrote some, I wrote a bit more about playing football, about you know, how the whole town relies on the football team about going away, about, the, you know, all that, and, and playing with Indigenous kids. And then I went back to that creative writing class, and in all those classes there always comes a time you get to read out something you've written. And I was so reluctant because I, I just thought, what is this? This is just some crazy stuff I, I wrote based on my childhood. Anyway, eventually I, I overcame my nerves and I read this thing out. And when I'd finished, the other people in the class... It was about know, 10, 12 people. They clapped. Nice work. Yeah, and I thought, okay, that's it. I've got to write this. Uh, in the beginning, I tried to be a computer programmer during the day, and I tried to be a writer mm-hmm. at night, and it just didn't work. I just couldn't do it. So, it's the challenge, isn't it, that, that a lot of writers yeah, have a, in no. that transition. Yeah. Um, I'm still in between there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a huge challenge, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even now, I mean, I do quite a lot of talking at schools, and I always kid myself that I'll say, okay, I, you know, 
I'm only, I'm only giving three talks, only an hour each. I finish by three o'clock. I just go home and write. I've never been able to. You know, I've got to writing's got to be the first thing I do every day. It's got, got to be my main mm-hmm. job. Um, anyway, so uh, back to me as a computer programmer. I just I had a choice. I thought, you know, do I give up the security of this job uh, and give this a go? Or do I just say, no, yeah. I'm not going to do it. So, obviously, I gave it a go. I took the risk. And um, fortunately for me, that what I wrote, my first book, Deadly Anna, immediately became a very successful book. And so that's all I've done ever since, just been a writer. So the, the plunge was worth it. You ended up at Sundance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could have always gone back. I mean, let's face it. It's a pretty... Romantic view I've just given there, but um, you know, if I had tried for a couple of years, or I could have always gone back to computer programming. I mean, I think I would have been pretty sad, but you know, I did have a safety net. Mm. So, during that process, did you before you left computer programming, were you trying to write the novel at the same time? I was, and I just couldn't do it. Being, as I said before, first thing I do every day has to be writing. And to me, the sweet the sweet spot is from about nine to one. I'm an early riser. I get up and you know I'll do other stuff. I go for a swim in the ocean, go to the gym. I'll do something. Then I really always, and then I'll drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> but I always try to be at my desk or wherever I am at working at night, and then go through to that one. And sometimes I can write at night as well. I can mm-hmm. edit at night, no problem. That's easy. But I don't know if I'm particularly creative at night. It's by far the most creative period for me. The period where my brain is a, is it's optimal is a, is in the morning. And during your writing process, now that you're a, a full time writer, do you have any tips or tricks in overcoming things like writer's block, or do you ever have problems coming up with ideas? Look, um, I don't know writer's block. I know what it is, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm actually many writers who get it. Most of the writers I know can't mm. afford to have writer's block. You know, there are some days, and today was a good example for me, actually. Um, I just, I was frustrated for most of the day. I was really frustrated, and I hardly wrote anything. I just had a problem. Mm. It's a plot problem. I know, I know I have to solve it, but I also know, because I've been a writer for quite a long time, that I, I will solve it. And I know I have I know I just have to sit with the frustration. I have to consider all the possibilities. I have to play around with stuff. And I know eventually I will crack this one. I know I will. Whereas before, maybe if I wasn't so experienced, you know, I might have given up or something. I'm not sure. Um, But, you know, the the idea of writer's block, you know, not like wandering around for months and months and months without anything to write about. Yeah, I'm not really experienced that. I've always there's always something that I feel worthy of writing about, and even though I'm just finishing a novel now, there's I've already got about two or three other ideas in my head about what I want about what I want to write about next. So it, perhaps just k- keeping on writing. Words on the page, you know, like yeah, you yeah. can't. You, I know this is all commonplace advice. For me, I write first draft. I write really quick. You know, sometimes I even I find writing landscape really difficult and mm. I don't want to spin my wheels on that so sometimes I'll just put it like a, a placeholder 
escape description, and they'll just keep going, you know, because I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to stop the flow, and um, just get the words on the page. And once you have the words on the page, once you have a first draft, then you have something to work with. Because again, one of my favourite sayings about writing is, uh, most writing is rewriting. I don't know any writer, and I know a lot, and we all, when we, we all rewrite, 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 and rewrite. Of course we do. So yeah, the words on the page. And they don't have to be great, because you can, you know, in the process of rewriting, you can make them great. But just get them down. And do you, how much advanced plotting do you do, or planning, or are you more of a sit down and write and the story? Yeah, look, I, I don't, I have a little bit of ideas sometimes where it's going. But yeah, I'm not a meticulous plotter. I'm not, you know, uh, what's a planner or a pantser? I'm a pantser, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pantser yeah, as well. Uh, I often am surprised where a story ends up. Yeah. Because I didn't know that was where it was going. I mean, I have to write my characters into being. They don't exist for me unless I write them into existence. And so, mm. you know, to plot out a whole novel when you don't really know who your characters are I don't you know I just can't it's just not the way my brain works so it's not the way my brain's lives are just not the way for me you know sometimes you can get so the problem I have now if I had a, a, the novel I'm writing now if I had a plot of it out I wouldn't have had the, I wouldn't have the problem I have now it's a sort of basic plot problem that I sort of ignored and I knew it was a problem all along I knew it was but I just kept on you know obliviously writing thinking oh maybe it'll fix mm. itself and I've come to the end of the book and of course it hasn't fixed itself and now I have to find a way to fix it and do you ever talk to someone else about the plot problem do you find if you bounce it off uh, someone it helps you with that yeah 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 I, I've got no problem doing that I mean often that's difficult in a novel because novels are complex and mm. for order order for that person to understand there's a lot of explication that can go on. With picture books, it's quite easy. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of advice on my picture books because you know they're easy to read. And they color hundred words. Somebody mm. can read them and offer your advice. But you know, you got to be very yes. careful about who you get advice from. I, True as well, because it's all opinion. Yeah, there's opinion, and you know, there's not many people who actually really know what they're talking about as far as novels go. Not really. So, yeah, and, you know, if you're asking your friend and they're just going to tell you what you want to hear. So it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. Mm. Uh, I often get my husband to read my work and he always loves everything I write and I'm starting to uh, think that I maybe shouldn't be asking him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's actually, he's, I mean, he, I'm sure he's a good husband, but he's useless to you as far as writing goes. <laughs> He's, he's a wise man, though, keeping his wife happy. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> anyway, Philip, he'll probably divorce me now after that, saying that. But um, Now, I've got a few uh, quick-fire questions for you just to um, get to know a, a bit more about you. Um, so I'm just going to ask you, as you've said, you've loved to, you love to read. Uh, what was your favourite book growing up? Okay, so just, you know what's a really interesting thing about reading? is I loved to read when I wasn't a writer, <laughs> and now I'm a writer, I hardly read at all. And I'm sure you've heard this before, because I can't read fiction when I write fiction, because I find myself yes. getting influenced by whatever it is I, I read. So 
the terrible thing is, I think most of my reading, the bulk of my reading, was done before I was a writer. Anyway, sorry, my favourite book growing up. Yes. You know, I was I was fortunate that uh, I loved the books I did at school. I really do. And one of one of those was to kill a kill a mockingbird. And all no, that I had read, I had read for escapism because I wanted to get out of this little country town. Uh, and I, I and you know I grew up in a town that was you know, there was a lot of tension between the indigenous people and the white people. I mean. You know, the, white, the indigenous people didn't live in my town, they lived up the coast. And it was a very, mm. for a young person, it was a very difficult place to make sense, any sense out of. And unfortunately, a lot mm. of my, the adults in my life weren't great role models. A lot of them were racist. And so it was a very confusing world. And I remember reading To Kill a Mockingbird and it making the world I lived in less confusing. Uh, and I thought, that's what I thought, my God. Oh my God! And I thought this is what this is what books can do. This is what literature can do. And I've never forgotten the lesson. And um, you know, I write. I you know the books that I, I love. I, I, I the books that I I hope uh, are sort of you know tackling some of the big stuff in the world, not just not just pure entertainment. So yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird. But I also loved uh, Catch Twenty Two, Great Catch. Mm. and um, of mice and men. Uh, all those books. All written mm. by men, unfortunately, but I guess it was like that in those days, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, there has really been a real direction change in, in um, where the, um, the lines lay with... Um, genders these days with writers it's most of the writing workshops I'm going to these days are all full of uh, women and there'll be just maybe one or two men every now and then um, but um, yeah it um, it's interesting um, your reading list sounds quite similar to what mine was going to school and university as well so. oh, wow. that's interesting given um, that you're a whole lot younger is that what you did at school? Um, some of those at school, and I um, I did a Bachelor of Arts um, at university and um, read um, modern American literature, wow. so a lot of those books were on that reading list. Um, but some great classics that I often um, marvel at how, as a, a young sort of, Tween, which I was sort of reading Babysitters Clubs and Sweet Valley High and then suddenly transitioned to classics um, <laughs> and loved them so much more. My favourite book is Goodbye to Berlin, um, which is the um, book that uh, Cabaret, the yeah, musical, yeah. is based on. Um, and I just... Um, yeah. Yeah, just found it very profound. The the main protagonist just seems to observe the world around him and quite shocking things are happening. Um, but just sort of, yeah, being an, an, an observer of it without an opinion. Does he open that up with saying, I'm, I'm a camera? Is that how that book opens? Is that the one? I, I don't think that's Oh, right. The one. It's another one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but, um, yeah I've, I've always... Yeah, just felt felt it's interesting. Um, yeah, the way the 
yeah, the narrator sort of tells of all the things going on around him, but just kind of accepts them as part of the world where they're actually quite, yeah, terrible things happening <laughs> around him. Um, okay, so um, if you could be any book character, what who would it be? I'm going to be Atticus, I think, Atticus Finch. Mm. Yeah. I always thought, you know, you know, I'd never actually met somebody like that growing up. <laughs> and, the, and the film as well, you know, sometimes it's difficult to, because when I think of him, I think of Gregory Peck, of course, like everybody. Yes. Um, just such a man of, you know, high morality and willing to, to, to do anything. Uh, yeah, to, to do to stick to that morality, to hear principles. And I just thought, wow, that's another way of being a man in this world because I've actually never met anybody like that before. It is such a hard thing in life to do the right thing mm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, when the prevailing, uh, you know, the cultural norms of that time are, are totally against you. And, you know, I, I guess in the, in the end of Deadly Honor, uh the character Blackie does something which, uh, you know, he, he's not getting approval from anybody for doing, but it's the right thing to do. What he does is absolutely the right thing to do. And actually, it's only occurred to me now that this, that was probably inspired by, by Atticus Finch. There you go. Um, I often look back at history and um, you think when you're in the same situation... I would be strong and stick to my values, but then then it's like, oh, would I really? If I was really under that pressure, would I do the right thing? So yeah, I always enjoy um, reading about um, characters or or real people that have really stuck to their guns. So I think you've pretty much answered my next question, which is, um, what are you reading right now? Because it sounds like you're not enjoying reading fiction at the moment at all. Oh, I'm reading an Ellen de Botton book, actually. About, uh, I, I love popular uh, psychology. I love, love those books. Uh, you know, writers, you know, we're, we are amateur psychologists. We try to work out people do mm. the stuff they do. And so, even though I can't really read novels when I'm writing a novel, I can, can, I can consume psychology books, so... I'm reading one of these at the moment. And do those ever help you with your thrillers, those kind of books? I think they help with anything. You know, if you can try to understand why people do what they do, what what is it about their childhood, what is it about their psychology, absolutely. I think they're really helpful books to read as a writer. Yeah, without a doubt. And often they're more interesting than novels in some way because they actually do try to explain why people behave in certain ways, whereas in novels I think it's often up, up, up to interpretation. But, you know, mm. and, you know, I'm not talking about the really trashy psychology books. I shouldn't call them pop psychology. It's probably a bit dismissive. But, and somebody like Alan de Botton is such a, such a wonderful, wonderful writer. You, know, you can just read him because his prose is so beautiful. So, yeah, that's a book I'm reading at the moment. I'm trying to think what else is by my bed. You know, well... Once I finish this novel I'm writing now, um, I'll be able to jump into some fiction, and I'll, you know, spend a couple of weeks devouring fiction. But uh, 
right now it's strictly a diet of non-fiction. Okay. Um, now, this one is a, a little bit of a, a silly question, but if you could invite five literary people to dinner, who would they be? Okay. What literary? So it could be a writer or a character. Ooh. So who am I going to have for dinner? Can I have Oscar Wilde? Because I'm sure it'd be funny. Oh, that'd be a fun dinner party yeah, straight it'd, off the it'd bat. Be fun. Um, I feel like I'd like to have an Indigenous person at the table. My good friend Melissa Lukashenko. I'd like mm -hmm. to her. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. So we've got Oscar and Melissa. A bit alive and up a bit. No, they're pretty. No, Oscar would be pretty, pretty lively. But we can have a character as well. Yes. What about the book that I loved growing up? Um, no, just Catch-22, Yossarian. We have him. You know, have you read Catch-22? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that one. Oh, it's a, it's, it's, it's a great book. There's a great character in there, Yossarian. We'll, we'll have mm -hmm. him as well. So we've got two more. Um... Oh, she might be a bit tortured, but let's have Sylvia Plath, can we? Oh, love, Sylvia. I love her poetry. Uh, not, not at school so much, but when I went to university. Yep. And uh, we've got one more. One more. Um, hmm, let's try to think. Just going to liven the party up a little bit. Um, maybe... Uh, I don't know if you know Raymond Chandler's novel, but Philip Marlowe, his detective, we'll put him there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a wild dinner party. <laughs> I don't know. I I'm just trying to long. picture Oscar Wilde and Sylvia Plath in a conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could be an interesting... It, it would be very um, uh, stimulating, I think, that that dinner party. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure yeah, if everybody yeah. would like each other. But all depends on what stage in their lives you, you know you invited these people. True. Yeah, that would also be really, really, really interesting. Okay, so our last question is: What advice would you give yourself if you could go back to the beginning of your writing journey? Oh, the beginning of my writing journey. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know what? I, I, I just, keep, I just get words on the page because mm. I remember spending way more time than I should have on some books, and I just think now I, you know, I just don't muck around anymore. I just get it down. I just get it down, and, uh, and um, my process is much quicker now. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure the product is the same. So yeah, it's just get the words down, get them on the page. And then you have something to work with. Fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed my chat with you, Philip. Thank you so much for joining me on Totally Lit. Well, thank you. That was fantastic. And thanks for all the wonderful thought-provoking questions. You're welcome. Writing stories for children can seem like a very simple task, but there is a skill involved in bringing memorable characters and their worlds to life. Anyone can write a picture book, but not everyone can write a picture book that becomes a child's favourite bedtime story. The best children's picture books fire up their imaginations, evoke emotion, and stay within their memories forever. 
Authors Online was created to provide aspiring authors the knowledge, skills and resources they need to become a published children's book author. Our extensive industry knowledge will be shared with you and provide you with the basic principles behind writing for children, picture book publishing guidelines and updates on the current market and publishing environment. And as a special offer for Totally Lit listeners, if you go to authorsonline.com.au, you can apply the discount code of LIT20, that's L-I-T-2-0, to access discount content at authorsonline.com.au. Yes, Goodbye to Berlin is my favourite book, yet I couldn't remember this famous passage. I am a camera with its shutter open, quite passive, recording, not thinking. Philip was right about these lines, although they were not the very first lines there in the second paragraph. Uh, Philip's latest book, The Break, is published through, through Puffin and can be found at all good booksellers or by jumping on to www.penguin.com.au. Guess what? I have a copy for one lucky listener. All you need to do is send me an email telling me in 25 words or less the book that inspired you growing up. Drop me a line at totallylitpodcast at gmail.com and I will choose the best response. What have I been up to this month? I started the month off by going to the wonderful Inda Ahmed Zari's book launch for Nightlights. That was so much fun. It was great to catch up with a few local Brizzy kid-lit authors as well. Um, then I gave out heaps of prizes. Congratulations to Sandia, who won a copy of Elisa Darlison's Poppy the Punk Turtle. Rosalie, who won a copy of Inda Ahmed Zari's Nightlights. To Peter, who won the Judy Gregory prize pack. And Cassie, who won the Jubbly Umpf Anonymous pin set. I feel like Santa. So many presents. It was exciting. Uh, next, this month, I'm off to Toowoomba to the Relax and Write in the Mountains Life Riding Retreat, organised by the marvellous Edwina Shaw. I believe she may have a few spots still available due to lockdowns, so jump on to www.edwinashaw.com to make a booking. They're always amazing. Um, it is a women's only retreat, though, um, but it's yeah, a wonderful, relaxing retreat where you get some great advice from some wonderful authors as well. Uh, what else? I'm excited to be a judge of the Australian Podcast Awards and I've also been selected to be a judge for the Foreverability Book Awards. These awards aim to showcase picture books through to middle grade books in the themes of disability, illness and own voice. Check out the guidelines at www.foreverability.org. Entries close 1st of December 2021 at 9pm Melbourne time. In between, I've been booking lots of lovely literary guests for you, so look out for future podcasts. So I'm only 12 days into October and it's looking super busy. Um, totally Lit is an independent podcast and I really appreciate you helping us grow. If you can share the pod with your friends, it would be much appreciated. All the socials are in the show notes. I'd be eternally grateful if you could jump onto iTunes and leave me a review. It'll help other listeners find us. Um, so see you next month and don't forget to go out and read, write, create and ignite.